Welcome to your Right to Speak discussions on social justice and advocacy. This is episode 54 and I'm your host Salvatore. On today's episodes we'll be talking with Rima who works at Harmony at Works um, and is the director of curriculum and education. I attended a training session on anti-oppression that Rima and a colleague were facilitating and the topic of shaming and moving to a place of education in regards to anti-oppression was brought up. I've long wanted to have this topic discussed on the show um, because I very much believe in it. So I'm very excited to have Rima on the show and I can't wait to continue the conversation. Rima, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation. Uh, Like you, I believe this is really, really important for um, just moving forward in an effective way to, you know, to create the kind of change we want to see. Um, so uh, I am the director of curriculum training at Harmony at Work, which is, um, you know, one of Canada's leading diversity, equity, inclusion, anti-oppression training uh, organizations, and I've been doing this for 10 years. So for the last 10 years, I've had the privilege of traveling around Ontario, the country. I've been as far as Japan and Jamaica you know, having real conversations with people about anti-oppression, about discrimination, um, about diversity, equity, inclusion, bias, and, you know, the whole spectrum of topics uh, that fall under there. And in that time, over that 10 years, I think my philosophy has evolved and also my training technique has evolved uh, to incorporate more awareness of things like shame being used as a technique and really... Um, kind of taking a look at what is the most effective way to do this work because that's really what it's about at the end of the day is to be able to increase you know safe and inclusive spaces mm-hmm. to to really address barriers to inclusion in a way that is going to be effective well thanks I'm very excited to have you here um we're just going to do your right to speak fashion, just dive right into the questions and see where this takes us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you generally explain for the listeners what anti-oppression is? Okay. Um, so there's a lot of kind of terminology that falls under kind of the, the whole spectrum of, of anti-oppression, but anti-oppression um, specifically is um, identifying and addressing the root cause mm-hmm. of uh, you know, barriers uh, to inclusion um, for people. So unlike, you know, equity work, which is, you know, identifying barriers and then accommodating for those barriers, mm-hmm. helping people um, work around those barriers, get what they need to succeed despite the barriers. Anti-oppression is about removing those barriers. It's about addressing the, you know, the systemic issues um, that are um, sort of built into the fabric of, of our society um, that then create the need for equity and accommodation. So while equity is sort of a short-term solution, it's helping people address the barriers that are impacting them today, um, anti-oppression is about that long-term work that we need mm. to really remove those barriers entirely. So it's kind of taking a more of a step forward, kind of just mm-hmm. enhancing what we need to do, yeah, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's bigger and it's harder uh, to do. Um, but it is what sort of what I call the, the final frontier is mm-hmm. anti-oppression, not equity. Oh, I love that. The final frontier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the training, we were speaking together, um, and we talked about the importance of 
not shaming and coming from a place of education. So can you explain to the listeners why you think this is so important? Um, it's important because of our, the goals, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, I always say, for example, with regards to racism, we are not trying to eliminate racists, mm-hmm. the people. What we're trying to eliminate is racism, right? We're trying to eliminate the concept, the ideas, you know, we're trying to eliminate racial bias, but the people we want to keep. And that's really what this comes down to, right? Is that the goal of this work should be this understanding that all people are valuable. Even people who have, for example, you know, racist or discriminatory values, because we have to believe that those people can change their values. The goal of eliminating people entirely is obviously not something that we're seeking. And so there has to be an education focus. There has to be Um, you know, a strong belief and an effort that given the right approach, people with even the most extreme views or values can change those values. And so it's really a a people first approach. It's, it's valuing the, you know, kind of the humanity, um, and giving people an opportunity, uh, to, to change their ideas and their values. Whereas shaming attacks the person as opposed to, you know, the idea or, you know, the problematic value or comment, um, which then creates a bit of a barrier to education, that when people are shamed, they become defensive, and often they double down. Yeah. So, so at the at the really, at the core, it's about, it's not an effective way to do this work. And it really places people in a box, and it doesn't, you know, I believe there's good in everyone, and you know there's growth that everyone needs to do mm-hmm. and as soon as you shame someone you place them in that box and, and that's it like mm-hmm. then like their guard is up and nothing is going to change mm-hmm. we, we won't really be changing their values at all because we place them in that box mm-hmm. you know i've always thought of you know what, what i struggled with the shaming piece was you know like there's different cultural, you know, backgrounds and we have to recognize that, you know, some people were brought up a certain way or some people hold on to those values, you know, that's mm-hmm. their identity mm-hmm. and it may be wrong. Um, but as soon as you shame them, there's no way that we could move forward with them and kind of mm-hmm. open up a space for conversation. Yeah. Well, because changing, letting go of an idea, mm-hmm. even though it seems like something, you know, that should be easy for us to do, but we are, as humans, we're just a collection of all of our ideas and our values and our beliefs. So letting go of an idea, uh, you know, a value, a belief put, makes you vulnerable. It's a vulnerable mm-hmm. thing to do, to admit that you're wrong, to change everything that comes with that. What does it mean if you admit that, you know, something that you've said is wrong? I mean, it involves perhaps acknowledging that you've hurt people. Um, and for someone to do that, that we have to create space. It has to be kind of safe and comfortable for them to do that. When it's shrouded in shame, that's really, really hard to do. Um, it's really hard to admit, you know what? Yeah, these ideas that I had were wrong. Um, if you feel like that means that you, as a person, are bad or wrong. Right. So, I mean... We talked about, in your answering the last question, you gave some examples. I was wondering if you could possibly give a bit more examples of what shaming could look like. Mm -hmm. 
and what could the education piece look like? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think in some of the the kind of the larger examples, I think some of the the language that we've made kind of acceptable to to talk about within the sort of social mm-hmm. you know justice realm like um like for some reason it's acceptable for people to say men are trash okay and the thing is is that what they're really trying to say is that misogyny and patriarchy are harmful and they're hurtful men are not trash and so the thing is is that that's that's an entirely shaming statement that's not a statement about values or beliefs that's a statement about identity about an entire group of people that immediately creates a barrier to having a real conversation so a man makes a says a misogynistic comment we respond with men are trash that conversation is now closed and that man has now doubled down and has more reason to believe that they're right in holding mm-hmm. their views as opposed to you know i'm not sure if you're really hearing yourself but when you when you make a comment like that you're kind of making a statement about women you're participating in this system of oppression um you know you have more of an opportunity there to open a dialogue and to have an opportunity for change i think um anytime we label someone you know uh, for example somebody makes a heteronormative or heterosexist comment and then we call them a homophobe. And they may hold some heterosexist views, because let's be honest, society is heterosexist mm-hmm. and heteronormative. Mm-hmm. We all have heterosexist and heteronormative you know, ideas and values and beliefs. It's hard for us to avoid those things. Um, and so, but when somebody, you know, then all of a sudden you're just labeled, you are a homophobic person, yeah. right? Um, that, again, that, that creates a little bit of that, that barrier to learning as opposed to being like, hey, this thing that you said, this idea that you had, this might point to some, you know, bias that you have that you haven't realized. Um, you know, one way to, to approach it, like the really sort of the, the, the an effective approach is like, you know, I've also had views like that in the past. But, you know, then I've learned and I've really made an effort to eliminate, mm-hmm. you know, this type of vocabulary from my language because I realize it alienates people. Um, makes it okay for somebody to acknowledge that they were wrong and to address that that idea or that bias. I think the problem is that we kind of think of people as just like A or B. You know, right. there's racist people and there's not racist people. There's homophobic people and there's, <laughs> there's not, not homophobic people, right? As opposed to understanding that, like, everyone at some degree we have we have biases and a lot of them we're not even aware that we have us yeah so um just you know kind of normalizing that reality for the purpose of of creating change i mean it kind of brings into the question like because you were saying everyone has biases Mm -hmm. like that's where really for me the implicit bias Mm -hmm. really comes in Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. there's like those everyday acts that we don't even know that we're doing it right Mm -hmm. and you know I can just imagine if I was doing something unintentionally and someone came up to me and just started yelling at me well Mm -hmm. then I'm like whoa yeah right Mm -hmm. and it just elevates me Mm -hmm. yeah exactly right and then I mean we also know when we when we kind of study our conscious versus our unconscious mind that when we're emotionally triggered um, our unconscious mind takes over, our emotional mind takes over. And that's the part of us that's less capable of like logic and reasoning. That is much difficult to access learning from that place than engaging our, our rational and our mm-hmm. conscious mind. So as soon as we are you know, attacking or labeling or shaming, we've sort of lost the part of that person's yeah. you know, brain and awareness that we want to engage with to create change. So what would you say to some of the listeners that 
probably listening and are totally disagreeing with this and saying, no, we should be shaming what, you know, there are certain people in this world that are saying things and doing things that are not good and we need to shame them. We need to be like, no, you're wrong. And how dare you say something like that? I mean, I think that there are a lot of people who think that way, and mm-hmm. I'll admit that, you know, I think I participated in this up to a certain mm-hmm. point, and I understand from an emotional standpoint why we feel that way, and, uh, you know, on one hand, shaming can produce behavior change in mm-hmm. the sense that people might stop behaving a particular way because they are afraid of being shamed, right? right. It's, a, it's a fear-based learning, sort of like a Pavlovian type of training. Right. The problem with that, however, that I think we've now seen, and to you know, at this point in history, we know more than ever, is that what happens with those ideas, they don't necessarily go away. They go dormant until somebody gives them permission mm-hmm. to bring them back out again. And I think that's what happens with leaders like Trump mm-hmm. and Ford um, and Harper, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know, upcoming Andrew Scheer, like um, that. What happens is when somebody in a position of power and influence gets up and says, oh, guess what? It's actually okay to be racist. It's okay to be misogynistic. Um, that the, the fear of that shame is no longer enough to curb that behavior. What we want to do is actually build understanding. And so, you know, that being said, I also say that there's a time or place for everything. If you're on for the sure. subway and somebody shouts a slur at you, shame them. You know, right. like that's and, and your safety is important. And we don't always have the emotional capital to be, you know, using, you know, the gentle education approach. Right. right. Um, but it's important to know that in that moment, what we did was we just sort of like took care of ourselves, but we didn't actually create change. And that's fine. It's mm-hmm. not to say that, like, every waking hour of our lives we should be working on educating yeah. <laughs> others right but to really understand when we're doing one and when we're doing the other um and i also say that you know um recognizing that as for example you know a woman of color i'm an arab woman but who's white skinned and very mm-hmm. white passing um that i have uh, a certain safety i'm not being re-traumatized when I am taking the time to educate, you know, somebody uh, on on racism, that I can create this the space for that. That maybe, you know, um, sort of a, somebody else, another person of color, maybe doesn't have the space for. Right. And that's and that's okay. And those are decisions that you have to make for yourself. But I think what we're focused on here is the change making element. Yes. I just yes. don't want. I know that sometimes what makes people angry is that there's this implied idea. That now all of a sudden, for example, you know, people of color have to take responsibility for the learning of all, you know, privileged or ignorant white people. And that's not at all what we're saying. Yeah. So it's really important that we're framing this conversation as, um, you know, how do we do this work effectively? How do we, um, you know, combat the harmful um, ideas, the biases, you know, the, the systemic, you know, oppression in society to create change? I'm so happy you brought all that stuff up. Yeah. That, I was like, yes! <laughs> um, so we're going to change the conversation a little bit. Sure. We're going to go, because we're, I'm in social services, so mm-hmm. we're all about reflection. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you, so how do you think we could start making the shift from shame to education in social services? Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
the very the first step always is yeah. to start with the self. So at Harmony at Work, for example, you know, our our training always begins with a look at our own identities, our own relationship to privilege and and oppression. You know, where do we experience privilege? Where do we experience bias? Acknowledging right away that in the areas where we experience privilege, we need to learn more. We need to learn from those who are who are uh, you know experiencing oppression or or you know barriers. Um, and, and then addressing our own biases within that, like Mm -hmm. that's the really important first step is that if we haven't done that work, if we haven't understood how our own bias is impacting the way we're interacting with people, then we're not quite ready to move to that step. So that's the first thing. And then, um, is acknowledging this really important, uh, thing, which is that we're all on a learning journey. You know, everyone who calls another person out at some point had to learn that lesson right Right. and so what happens is there was a point in time where you know you made some sort of mistakes some way or another maybe a person maybe a book maybe a show maybe somehow you came to this learning and then now um you know you're encountering people who have not yet learned that lesson and i think just keeping that idea in our mind changes the way that we interact with people as opposed to this, you know, the shaming sort of way that we approach. I can't believe you didn't know that and you should know better. And oh my God, in this day and age and all of the ways that we, um, kind of attack people for having the wrong, you know, ideas. And sometimes it's not even the wrong idea. It's something as simple as using outdated language. Yes. You know, it can be as simple as using an inappropriate term that you simply didn't know was inappropriate. You know, I mean, my, my partner, my personal life, sometimes I'm like, you know, we'll interrupt something and be like, hey, FYI, that term, you know. And he's like, when did the memo go out? Yeah. How, when did this change? How are we the ordinary people supposed to know that this has happened? It's true, though. And when you live and breathe this work, you forget that not everybody is yeah. connected to this. Not everybody wakes up every day and thinks about oppression and yeah. anti-oppression all the time. Whereas when you work in social services, it it's... is sort of, yeah, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's not something you turn on or off, you know, it's just yeah. a part of it all the time. Um, and, uh, and then really like investing in actual like training techniques, you know, Mm. finding out what's the best way to interrupt or address a microaggression, you know? Um, and there's so much out there that we can, that we can lean on. I mean, obviously, you know, the best thing is, you know, to bring in an expert to do some training that can build skills and tools so that, you know, as a team, um, you know, you're all on the same page, you know, how to interrupt and address you know, comments, uh, but then also, you know, kind of backing that up with thinking about, you know, your policies and, mm-hmm, and sort mm-hmm. of the systemic fiber yeah. of your organization. Um, but then even if your agency doesn't have the money or whatever it is, whatever barriers stand in the way of doing that stuff, there's so much work that we can do. You could be listening to this podcast, for example, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, and, and so many others that are out there to find out, you know, and there are techniques, right? It's not like, these are loose concepts, there's science, you know, there's the transformative conversations Mm -hmm, tool, mm -hmm. which is, you know, how to have difficult conversations with people where there's an imperative to preserve a positive relationship. So that's a technique, for example, that, um, is, you know, that we teach at Harmony at Work, um, which is, you know, acknowledges all that we've been talking about, the idea of shame. Um, it takes the time to, um, kind of clarify what the person has said, uh, acknowledge that um, some some part of, of what they're saying because typically there's some sort of feeling or need right and then 
you know, give them some information and then invite them to do better. And, you know, so there are, there are ways that we can like actually practice this that are effective. I think, you know, I was at another training, I think a couple of weeks ago was for anti-black racism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things the trainer there said was just start, Mm -hmm. just start. Yeah. That's how you start to do it. Mm -hmm. Just start. Yeah. You know, you Mm -hmm. you gotta just start. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a and I agree with it very much like there's a point where we could always be talking and like trying to figure stuff out but like unless the act is just starting like mm-hmm. that will never happen yeah absolutely yeah you just have to you have to take that first step um and also create some space for yourself to get it wrong I think that's a yeah. thing that often stops people and that's coming right back to the idea of shaming what the shaming does is that it it makes people scared to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hear, I can't tell you how often I'll hear from, you know, clients that like, oh, you know what, or teachers, for example, like, oh, we don't really talk about, you know, indigenous reconciliation because we're not really sure what the correct language is around indigeneity. And, and so they don't say anything at all. And that's a big problem. You know, I think we have to create space for people to talk about this stuff, make mistakes, learn and move forward. Um, so accepting that, that you're going to make mistakes, that yeah. sometimes you're going to get it wrong. Sometimes with the best of intentions, you're going to say the most hurtful thing. Um, and that case also learn how to apologize. That's the first yes. thing you want to get started. Take a moment and learn how to take responsibility and apologize when you get it wrong. And this is sort of a, you know, part of our training that we call getting it right when you get it wrong. Because there's still a way to get it right even after you've gotten it wrong, you know? Um, And so uh, those are the kinds of tools that that make it easier. People sort of unanimously agree that when they've been on the receiving end of, say, a microaggression or hurtful comment, and we're talking about within the interpersonal realm Mm -hmm. here, um, that they're so willing to um, consider people's intent and to Mm. forgive based on how the person responds to the call out. You know, if somebody calls you out for saying something inappropriate and you respond by acknowledging the hurt that you caused and then um, apologizing and then amending, you know, and, and expressing like, you know, I'm really sorry that I said that. That was hurtful of me to have said that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm very sorry that I hurt you this way. And you know, I, I will not use that term again, or please tell me, you know, what pronouns I should use, or please tell me, you know, um, how you would like me to refer to you, um, and then amend your behavior. Like, you know, actually do that. Yeah. Um, that, that most people are more than willing to, you know, to forgive and move on as opposed to a defensive approach, you know. Saying like, I'm not racist, I have black friends. Yes, I'm not racist, I'm like, what? I have, like, so many black friends that yeah. are totally okay with that yeah. term. <laughs> Great, you have some friends that are okay with that term. They do not represent all black people everywhere. Yes. So yeah. acknowledging, you know, even if, honestly, like, this is something I can't emphasize enough. Even if, like, 99% of a group agrees that a certain term is, you know, appropriate, yeah. and there's 1%, that finds it harmful, you call that 1% what they want to be called. Yeah. You acknowledge, yeah. I, you know, I'm really sorry, please correct me, you know, and, and you move on. Everyone has the right to be, you know, hurt or offended right. by, you know, whatever it is, 
for their reasons. For sure. Um, so yeah, so learning to apologize, I think is a super great skill. That's probably like step one <laughs> and then, and then dive in, <laughs> but be some, you know, be sincere about that actually, you know, amending, not just, you know, don't just say it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and don't over apologize. That's also. I'm like, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. What happens when we like over apologize is now all of a sudden this person that we've hurt has to take care of us and our feelings. Yes. We don't want to put that on them. Right. Like we, we feel bad when we've said something wrong. That's appropriate. That's okay. We feel bad. You manage that feeling. We don't need to now put that back on mm-hmm. the person who, who called us out. Right. Cause we also don't want people to start feeling like they can't call people out when it happens. And I, and I use the word call out. I, I know there's like, I don't necessarily love that. It's just sort of lack of a better term. I think yeah. there's a lot of negativity associated with call out culture. And now we've evolved to even worse cancel culture. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So just keeping that in mind. That's another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're almost at the end of the show and I'm going to ask you, what your right to speak's trademark question or has become our trademark question what does advocacy mean to you Hmm. um i mean advocacy for me it sort of maybe sounds like i'm I'm sort of repeating a little bit is um again starting with the self knowing what it is Mm -hmm. that you believe in knowing what it is that is important to you you know knowing where you stand firmly on you know any given issue and then living it and breathing it and acting it and speaking it whenever possible. Obviously with, um, you know, considerations for personal safety, um, but, you know, being, being a voice uh, for, uh, for what you believe in all the time, not, not just, you know, when it's convenient or, you know, being silent sometimes if it's around friends. I mean, if I can share like a, a personal example, mm-hmm was in a Facebook group with, you know, that a bunch of my friends added me to. And then there was like a, a lot of people that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was sort of this joking Facebook group called, I wish to register a complaint. And mm-hmm. it's like for, um, just sort of like jokingly venting yeah. petty complaints about mm-hmm. silly things. Like I posted a complaint where I was venting about Lacroix being a way overpriced sparkling mm-hmm. water beverage, right? Um, and, and it's fine. And people are, you know, obviously more over the top complaining than, than they normally would in real life. But somebody posted, um, that they said something to someone and it was an incredibly misogynistic mm-hmm. comment and it just, it was not okay. And in that space, of course, it's all friends and we're all joking around and, you know, the society, you don't want to be the person that's like the downer, but that's the thing is that you know, I had to be, so I had to be someone that said, you know, it's okay for us to be, you know, jokingly venting about things that we would never say, but it's another thing to actually say something harmful to a human being. Um, and that is not okay. Like for me, that's where I draw the line. And in the end I got kicked out of the group and that's fine because I stuck to my values and my beliefs. And I have a fundamental value of treating people in a particular way. And I can't actually condone or let it go or let it slide when somebody's sort of bragging about dehumanizing mm-hmm. another person. Um, so I think advocacy is, is having that that willingness and that that stick-to-itiveness um, to kind of always live your message, to strive for that, of course. It's not a 100% mm-hmm. attainable all the time, but to really be, be striving for um, 
kind of furthering that that message, that idea, that value, that belief uh, that we have already identified is really important to us. Love it. Love it. I think it's a good way to end our show. Would you like to say anything else before we end our conversation? Um, Just that, uh, A, I really appreciate that we're having this conversation. I feel like for me, I'm feeling really hopeful. I think like a couple of years ago when I started really worrying about this, uh, I felt like sort of just like a single voice, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it was scary. And I have to admit that I even I should kind of shied away from from talking about it. I think my, you know, I, I had issues with um, terms like white fragility being used in an educational context, right. right? Again, when you're venting and when you're with your friends or whatever, there, there's a place for that. Um, but calling, you know, labeling somebody um, in, in that way in a space of education. So, um, but, but I've was it was a bit taboo almost but now it seems to be that we're kind of getting there mm-hmm. that that it seems like a, the first step was for us to just like just speak out and to fight back um, and that was important and now we're kind of refining the approach now we're starting to think about okay you know it's important to fight these things but how do we do it well and you know i hope that we just continue to move in that direction of thinking about you know, how do we do this work in the most effective way possible? Uh, and I think this is an important step. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, your Right to Speak will be posted on the second Wednesday of every month. Thank you again for being on the show. Um, if you're a child or youth that would like to be on the show, or if you have an idea of what topic you think we should be talking about, you can email me at your right to speak at gmail.com. That's Y-O-U-R-R-I-G-H-T-T-O-S-P-E-A-K at G-M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. Let's raise awareness together.